Now, pull out your message notes. Uh, today I'm going to talk about a message entitled, The Blessing of Awaits. The Blessing of Await. And we're going to go into 1 Kings chapter 17, verses 7 through 16. This is the passage where we see Elijah is provided for by a widow. Um, we see that God brings a drought in King Ahab's reign. Um, because of this drought that uh, Israel is experiencing, there is a famine. It's an extreme famine in the land. Uh, they actually end up going three and a half years with no rain. And in this passage of Scripture, we're about six months into this drought. And God had provided supernaturally to Elijah through ravens and a brook. But that brook dries up, and then God moves him on to this widow. Now, that's typical of what God does, right? It's when, when a source dries up, don't get mad, just look for the next. You know, because God's not always going to provide the same way every single time. And eventually, he moves us on. And so don't get better. Just say, God, where's the next source? Where do you want me to go? And we see Elijah has a mandate from God to go to Zarephath. And we'll start in verse 7. It says, now sometime later the brook dries up because there had been no rain in the land. And the word of the Lord came to him, go at once to Zarephath in the region of Sidon and stay there. I have directed a widow to supply you with food. Now, God is saying, I've already prepared someone. So I want you to go, and as you go, preparation has already been made. And Elijah takes off, and in verse 10 he says, So he went to Zarephath, and when he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called to her and asked, Would you bring me a little bit of water in a jar so that I may have something to drink? Now, you can look at that and say, Well, that's no big deal, but remember you're in a drought. And in a drought, what's the greatest commodity that you could have? It's water. So, because we read that, we're like, hey, get the Ozarka, get the Fiji, just go get a bottle and give it to the prophet. No, 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 no. This was a big, it's a big deal. Like, they're in a drought, and he's asking for something that is scarce. So, he makes a single ask, and bring me a little bit of water so I may have something to drink. And as she was going to get it, he called, and bring me, please, a piece of bread. So not only does he ask for water, which is already expensive, pricey, valuable, now he's going to add on to the ask and say, hey, bring me something to eat as well. Remember, we're in a famine. And I think where we see what we as Christians read is that, look, God, sometimes you can get in this mentality, God wouldn't ask me for a lot and then ask me for more. Right? I mean, sometimes it's like, God, you, you made a big ask of me, and, and God, that should be enough. And it's like, no, God asked, and then God asked for a little bit more. Bring me through the prophet a piece of bread. And as surely as the Lord lives, the Lord your God lives, look, she replied, I don't have any bread, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little bit of olive oil in a jug. I'm gathering these few sticks to take home to make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. So he's asked once, he's asked twice, and then she's going to come back and say, hey, listen, what you've asked for, I don't really even have what I have. I'm just going to feed my family, and we're at the end of our rope, so we're literally going to die. Now, I, we read this in the context of having known what's going to happen. God's going to provide a miracle. I mean, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. It's like, woo, I'd have given mine all too, woo. Come ask me for more. 
She's living this out. And can you imagine, I mean, just imagine today, this is how it would play out. You're broke. Your house is, you lost your house. You're in a little bit of a shack. There's nothing left. And your pastor shows up. What's up? Hey, I'm here. And you're like, hey, pastor. I'm like, hey, can I get something to drink? You're like, well, the water was shut off. I got just a little bit in this jug. That's all we got, pastor. Yeah, okay. And then you say, yeah, I say, can, can, can you give me something to eat? Give me, give me some cornbread. Just maybe a little bit of mix of that cornbread. And you're like, well, pastor, I would, but that's all the cornbread I got. I got this little bit of water. I got this little bit of cornbread. And, and I love what Elijah says. He says, yeah, 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 go do that. But first. So it's like, yeah, go make that. And then I would tell you, yeah, I know you got all that, but first take care of your pastor. How many know I'd be on the front page of the newspaper? Can you imagine the scandal? Pastor Rob's widow of last morsel of food. I mean, because we read this in the context of the miracle, but just imagine how this is being played out. It's like he is asking for the very last that she has. In fact, she says, I'm going to eat it. We're going to eat this and we're going to die. And look at what Elijah said in verse 13. He said, yeah, I, I, I know. He said, but I want you to hear this. Don't be afraid. So in other words, listen, I get it. That ask was hard. That ask was difficult. But I'm going to ask you to break away from fear and begin from this moment on to step into faith. Because I'm not just an ordinary man. I'm a prophet. And I represent the voice of God. And so he's calling her out of fear into faith, and he said, go home and do as you have said. <laughs> I, I just like, eat it and die. <laughs> Can you imagine? Like, this guy's a little crass. Like, I'm like, what? No, he said, but first, everybody say first. First, make me a loaf of bread from what you have. And here's an important point with this. God will never ask you for what you don't have. I remember the days of uh, the, the whole prosperity movement. Anybody ever sat in one of the services way back when? And you wrote a check, but you knew there wasn't no money in the bank. And you're like, oh, Lord, hot check. Yeah, baby, I'm going to give this to God. You're going to fill my bank account. Come on, how many people did that? No, that's, maybe, maybe that wasn't God. Maybe that was manipulation that got you to move. Because God's never going to ask you to give more than you got. You don't even have it. But what he is going to ask you is, will you give me the very thing that you have, the very thing that you're holding on to? Because you're not enough in your hands is always more than enough in my hands. <laughs> but first, make a small loaf of bread for me from what you have. And then bring it to me. And make something for yourself and for your son. And I love that because he's really prophesying there's going to be more than enough. And he says, for this is what the Lord God says of Israel. The jar of flour will not be used up. The jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the land. And then verse 15 says, she went away and did as Elijah told her. So there was food every day for Elijah. And for the woman and her family, for the jar of flour was not used up and the jug of oil did not run dry in keeping with the word of the Lord spoken by Elijah. Wow. Powerful. Yeah, I've thought this. Did God send Elijah or did God send the widow to provide for Elijah or did God send Elijah to provide for the widow? 
I mean, that's a powerful thought. Because it can seem like the one getting the ask or asking for is the one whose needs are met. But truly, had she not ran into the man of the prophet, the man of God, she would be the one who died. And then I often, this is even crazier, I often go back. It didn't say that God showed him that was the widow. That's just the widow he came to at the gate. If she would have said no, I wonder if God didn't have another. Right. There's another, and here's what I've come to believe. It's like, God, whatever you want, however you want it, whenever you want it, you, you may, I may not be your first choice, but God, I want to be your last choice. I want to be the one that experiences the miracle of what you have for my life. See, there is a weight to this miracle. There is a weightiness, there's a heaviness, there's an ask, and then there's another ask. And you, you, you have to see that we are not called to live a weight-free life. We're called to live a life of purpose, a, a life of meaning. And that means there's moments where God is going to put some weight on us. There are some things that he's going to ask from you that's difficult. There's some things that he's going to say, hey, I want that from you. You're going to be like, God, that's so weighty. You know, it's, it's one of the things that I love about our church. You know, we, when you give your life to Christ, you know, we want you to know God. We want you to find freedom. And we do that in the context of small groups. And then next steps is how we discover our purpose. And then we begin to make a difference on the dream team. And that whole process, someone can say, but I don't want all that weight. Pastor, I just want to come to church. Pastor, I just want to sit here, feed me. Well, that's okay. But there are moments where God is putting weight on your life. He's not afraid of the weight. He wants you to feel the weight. He wants you to experience the weight. It's okay. He's trying to provide for us. He's trying to provide for us. Have you ever carried something heavy? Anybody ever carry something? The older you get, how I many know carrying something heaven is a little bit harder? I, I was, I, just yesterday, I actually had a section couch out here in the hallway, and it, it's really not that heavy. But I told Phyllis, I was laughing at myself. I'm like, but it's just awkward enough that the older you get, how I many know you pick it up wrong? You'd be like, oh, oh my goodness. And so I was praying. I'm like, God, somebody help me get this out and into the truck. Lo and behold, Jeremiah drives up, and oh, I was so grateful to see Jeremiah say, you're an answer to prayer, Jeremiah. I got a chair right here in the hallway. Would you help me load it up in the truck? And, you know, Jeremiah just comes up. Okay, pastor. He grabs a chair. He's like, this ain't that heavy. <laughs> I know, but it's awkward, Jeremiah. Give your pastor a break. Let's carry this thing together. <laughs> you ever carried something too heavy? It's, it's too heavy. The other day, my, my daughter Addison, she, I had to take her to school. Phyllis normally takes my girls to school. And this day, I'm on daddy duty, and Addison's running late. And I'm like, Addison, come on down. We got we to gotta get to school. Well, her backpack was by the front door. So, your boy, I'm like, come on, girl, I got you. And I grabbed her backpack. Have you grabbed your kids' backpacks? I was like, it was, it was one of those where you got to get your legs in it. You're like, oh. <laughs> carrying her backpack all the way to the car. And it was so funny because I'm like, Addie, what in the world are you doing with all, like, are you packing like bricks in your backpack? Like, are you trying to be on the track team? Like, what in the world are you doing? She said, Dad, those are all my books for my GT classes. Like, I got to bring them home and I got to read them. And you know what your dad, your boy said? I said, Addie, you don't need all that. 
Like, come on, girl. And she said, Dad, I need it. It's the only way I can learn what I need to learn. I'm trying to unload, and she's trying to stack up. Look, be careful about people that are trying to take the weight off of your life when they didn't place that weight there. God put weight on your life because he wants you to grow. He wants you to get stronger. He wants you to get smarter. He wants you to get better. And people are constantly trying to take the weight off of your life that God put on your life. Got to be careful. And look, there's weight that you're carrying you shouldn't be carrying. Look, some of you are carrying fear and anxiety. You're carrying depression. Look, you're persevering without progressing. You're carrying the wrong weight. So the key is, God, am I carrying the right weight? Am I carrying the wrong weight? Look, we want to carry God's weight, but you don't need anything extra or added to it. Look, when the prophet told her what to do, she didn't have to do extra. She said, I'm going to do exactly what the prophet has said, and God provided because she did what she needed to do. And today I'm going to tell you four blessings of a weight. Four blessings. Get your pens out. Get your phones out. Write this one down. The weight pulls you out of what God, pulls out of you what God has placed in you. The weight pulls out of you what God has placed in you. See, when Elijah asked the widow to make him some bread, see, a lot of people, when you read that, you got to be careful because it sounds illogical. It's irrational. A lot of people would say, well, that's so insensitive, that's cruel. And some people would even say that's abuse. I can't believe you would rob that poor widow of the very life and sustenance of what she had. But God understood he put some faith inside of her. He put some tenacity inside of her. He put some grit inside of her. He put his grace inside of her. So when the man of God asked, he, God knew I already placed something in there. And this ask is going to pull out what I put in there. Look at verse 8 and 9. It says, The word of the Lord came to him. At once go to Zarephath in the region of Sidon and stay there. I have directed a widow there to supply your food. Think about it. I directed. Now, nowhere in there does it say that that woman had an encounter with God and God audibly spoke to her. See, I think sometimes it's easy for us to say when God speaks or I hear an audible voice, you know how God spoke to her? That in the moment where the demand was placed on her life, there must have been something on the inside that resonated. I look at it like this, the power of God on the inside of us, there's a demand, there's an ask, and immediately our spirit leaps and says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. In the natural, I can't do it, but there's something that rises up on the inside of you, and I'm telling you that's because God put in you what you need for that moment. Think about it. She had what she needed, but she still had to make the right decision so that God could unlock the miracle that he had planned for her life. And the same is true with you. There is faith sitting on the inside of you. There are dreams sitting on the inside of you. There are hopes sitting on the inside of you. And unless that weight is placed on you, you will never have it drawn out. And so we're not looking for an easy life. We're not looking for a comfortable life. We're looking for a life full of purpose so that when we cross through to eternity, we can hear Jesus say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Look what Philippians 2.13 says. It says, for God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. That means God's working out what you need. It's already there. And that weight pulls out what God 
placed in. Yeah, I, I'm reminded of a story of Ed Milet. I don't know if you have ever heard of Ed Milet. He's a top business leader. He's a performance coach. He's got podcasts. I mean, he's, he's really great. He's got a lot of great things that he teaches. But he tells a story uh, about his childhood where he was bullied. Now, Ed Milet, he comes from an Italian family. And uh, growing up when he was bullied, they used to call him Eddie Spaghetti. They'd say, Eddie Spaghetti, your spaghetti is ready. And they'd bully him. And there was this one kid specifically that he talks about. His name was Ray Ray. And Ray Ray was just... He was the biggest bully. He would beat him up. He was tyrannical. I mean, three to five times a week he was beating Ed up. Well, this one day when Ed gets beat up and his clothes are disheveled and he's got some blood on his face, he goes through the screen door over at his house and he's crying. He's upset. And his mom says, Ed, Ed, what's happened? And Ed says, Ray Ray beat me up again. And so his mama wraps him up, oh, baby, come on, I can't believe it. His dad was in and out of jail. Those ain't our kind of people. They don't have morals. They don't have values. Come on, baby, I got you. And she just wraps her arm of love around Ed, and he's embracing. And he hears this. His dad is walking down the hall. Well, he's loving all the love and affirmation from his mama. <laughs> I know mama ain't tough And dad comes up and says, what happened? Ed says, Ray Ray beat me up again. He and his dad said, Mama, get your hands off of him. How many have ever had that moment where Mama's response? Dad's response. Get your hands off that boy. He looks at Ed and he says, Son, you're going to go right over there to Ray Ray's house, and I want you to go over there, and I want you to put a whooping on that boy. <gasps> he said, In fact, don't come home to dinner until you have done that. Okay, Daddy. He goes over to Ray Ray's house. He knocks on the door, and Ray Sr. opens the door shirtless, full of tats. What's up, little Ed? He said, my daddy said, don't come home until I put a whooping on Ray Ray. He said, oh, this is my kind of party. Come on, Ray Ray. Come on, Ed. She, Ray Ray. <laughs> Comes out, he says, you get over here, Ray Ray. You come right here, Ed. They face off. He says, get it on. They go after it. Ray Ray charges Ed. Ed puts him in a headlock by a miracle. Starts to noogie him. <laughs> Then Ray Ray's crying, oh, help. Finally, he gives up, and his dad says, wow, come on, there you go, breaks it up. Look at you, Ed. Ray Ray, you're going to have to man it up. So Ed walks up, yeah, it's amazing. <laughs> Here's the funny thing. When you hear Ed talk about it, his mama said, Ed, look, you got to tell the rest of the story. He said, well, I, I don't feel like it's relevant, but I'll tell it if you want me to. She said, yeah, you need to tell people. Ray Ray was four, I was seven. <laughs> Look, Ed wouldn't have stopped the bullying had his father not put a demand on him to stand up to the bully. And some of you have been bullied in life by the devil for so long, and God is saying, I'm going to put a weight on you. Why? Because I need you to stand up to the devil. I need you to stand up to those that are trying to push you down. The God inside of you is greater than the giant around you. It's time to stand up. It's time for you to fight the battles that God's called you to fight. It's time for you to handle the weight that God wants to place on you.
See, here, here's the reality. Some of you are better in a battle. You keep trying to run from the battle. You keep trying to run from the weight. You keep saying, God, remove it. God, please help me. And God's like, no, baby, you're better in a battle. How, how many know when your marriage is doing good, we, we at the lake house on Sunday. We let the alarm clock just slip on by in the mornings. We ain't not praying. We're not reading our Bible. But how many know when you got some marriage problems, isn't it funny how you come to church every Sunday? You come on to church first Wednesdays. You start to serve on the dream team. You start to come to prayer. You start praying and reading your Bible because you need help. You're in a battle. I mean, think about your health. It's like we take it for granted, and here you are. It's, everything's all good. It's all great. And you show up sometimes. You pray sometimes. But how many know when you got a serious health challenge, now it's like I'm in a battle. If I'm in a battle, i got to make sure that my life is right. You start praying. You start reading your Bible. You start praying for other people that are sick. You're like, how can I serve God? What do I need to do? This is all I know is that instead of trying to remove the weight, can we embrace the weight? Little weight, little faith. Little faith, little blessing. Little miracles. God wants to call greater out of you. If it was intended to be easy, then why did Jesus give this charge when we become followers of Christ? If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. It was never intended to be easy. It was never intended to be without weight. It was never intended to be something that we could do in and of ourselves. But this disciplined spiritual life is all about, God, I need you. God, there's more than what I can do by myself, which brings us to the second thing. The weight helps you see beyond yourself. If you didn't have the weight, you just depend on yourself. But when you got the weight, how many know it's like, I can't do it on my own. God, I need you. God, I'm asking you for help. And the weight stretches us out of what's reasonable. It stretches us out of what's rational. And it's like, God, it's the irrational. It's the unreasonable. And yet you are putting that weight and that demand on my life. If all you ever do is what's possible, if all you ever do is what's reasonable, how do you experience the supernatural? How do we experience God in our life if all we ever do is what we can do ourselves? You know, I was thinking about the times that I've had to carry heavy weight. And, you know, as a, as a teenager, you know, here we are. And uh, my mom would come home with groceries and bags of groceries. Anybody like, we got a big family, so it wasn't just like a little bit of stuff. It was a car full of stuff. And as a young, strapping teenager, I'd be like, gotcha, mom. And there'd be about 40 bags. I'd put 20 on this arm and 20 on this arm. And I'm like, bah, I gotcha. Until that can of beans falls out of the bag and hits your toe in the kitchen. Come on, somebody. Gotcha. But isn't it funny how the older you get, you're like, I can't carry that. I'm going, so now I got four chitlins, 16, 14, 11, and 10. And I say, hey, boys, mom's back. Come on, let's go get the groceries. I'm not doing it by myself. Why? Because I can't do it by myself. I get a little bit older. But my kids together, we go out and how many know we can carry the weight that we need to carry? I mean, I wonder, how else do we know if there's a way maker if the way isn't blocked? 
Waymaker, miracle worker. But you don't want the way to be blocked. You want all places where it's no roadblock, no hardship, no struggle, no challenge. It's like I want an easy life. And God's like, I'm the way maker. Stop looking for easy and start looking for rights. And, you know, he tried to teach the disciples so many things. But one being the very fact that the weight he places on them makes them see beyond themselves. And I'm reminded of the story where they feed the 5,000 It's found in John chapter 6, verse 5, and Jesus is speaking to the crowd, and the Bible says there's about 5,000 men. The theologians believe it's about 20,000 women, children, and men. And, you know, Jesus is throughout the day speaking, but these people don't have anything to eat. And so they're like, what are we going to do? How how, how do we feed these people? And and the disciples are getting a little nervous because they know the people, they've got to have food or or they're not going to make it. They're going to get sick and and, and just feeble. And so here the disciples go to Jesus with a problem but never give Jesus a solution. And what Jesus tries to help them understand is, yeah, you got problems, but there's also solutions, and those solutions are within you. Look at what he says in John chapter 6, verse 5. Jesus soon saw a huge crowd of people coming to look for him. Turning to Philip, he asked, where can we buy bread to feed all these people? And then look at what he says. He was testing Philip. It was a test. That the question was a test. What you're walking through is a test. This ask of this widow was a test. God already knew that on the other side of obedience, there is provision. There is a miracle. All I got to do is get you to pass the test. And if you know the heart of God, you know that God loves you, God cares for you, and that God's not trying to get something from me. God's trying to get something to me. It's a test. It's a test. She needed a miracle. Well, how did she pass the test? Through obedience. Obedience. We see in verse 13, Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Go home and do as you have said, but first. Everybody say first. Say it again. Say first. First make a loaf of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me. And then make something for yourself and your son. See, she passed the test by giving him the first so she and her son lives. But imagine had she not passed the test, her and her son would die. Now, thank God many of us don't have a life or death situation, but I do want you to know this. Before your life, God has a test. There is something happening in your life where God is speaking to you. God is asking something from you, and it seems unreasonable. It seems like it doesn't make sense, and God's like, I know. I know it doesn't, but that's why it takes faith. See, faith is what helps you pass the test, but faith is not dormant. It's not inactive. Faith has feet. That means if I really believe, there's action that's put forward in my belief. And her action was to obey the word of the Lord. See, a faith that can't be tested is a faith that can't be trusted. Let me say that again. Faith that can't be tested is a faith that can't be trusted. I was thinking about this building. You know, this building was a test. You know, we've been portable for uh, eight and a half years. Really, now we're about nine and a half years old right now. And so, um, man, this building was an absolute test. In the end of 2019, uh, we felt the Lord speak to us to buy this building, to move forward with it. Well, we were closing on this building. We had to raise a million dollars in 100 days. And we were going to close on the building in April. And lo and behold, we had a global pandemic in March. Yeah. 
And by all means, it looked absolutely impossible. I mean, can you imagine one day you're meeting as a church, everything is moving forward, and then now everybody's online, you have no idea who's still a part of your church, you have no idea where people are at, what they're doing, you try to stay together, but it's a little difficult, nobody's been in this social distancing, this physical isolation, and here we had the option, we had the decision, we had to make this moment and in us decide, are we going to move forward in faith or are we going to stalemate and stay still? And we didn't come off the vision. Now, I'll never forget, we'd come up here, Ollie, hey Ollie, wave your hand, he's one of our trustees, and it was the most precious thing. Ollie and Mary Jane would come up to this building and they'd just be praying and he'd text me or call me, Pastor, that's our building. I know it is. And I'm like, Ollie, come on, yes, you know. And in the back of my mind, I'm like, wow, I, you know, about, about 36% of our church returned back on site. And I'm like, I know it is, but it doesn't look like it. I know it is, but it doesn't feel like it. And I can't tell you the times where I would start to have just a little bit of doubt. And I'm like, God, are you sure? And Ollie would text me. He would call me. He's like, brother, I am telling you that building is ours. Don't you give up. Don't you lose faith. You stay focused. And my, my heart would leap with faith. And I'm like, yes, Ollie, you're right. It's amazing to have his encouragement. Sometimes he believed when I wasn't sure I believed. <laughs> Come on. Aren't you glad? And then there would be moments where I'd be sitting at my table or I'd be at the house and my little daughter Addison, she'd say, Dad, that building is ours. Usually it's when I got the worst news. Like that was pretty bad when, when the construction went from 2.3 million to 5 million. <laughs> I mean, that's a bad phone call. <laughs> that's the one where you're like, uh, Pavel was on the call and they're like, hey, you didn't, even, you didn't even flinch. And I just kept a smile. And this was my response. God didn't bring us here to leave us here. Now, how I many you know you can have a response and still walk away and be like, God, what's going on? Like, for real? Like, how are we doing this? And my little daughter would say, Dad, you got this. Dad, that's our building. Dad, we're going to do it. Here's what I love. It was a group of us, this whole church. We passed the, the test together as a group. The generation beyond me and the generation behind me, three generations were standing here saying, we got this. We're going to pass this test. No COVID, no pandemic. We're going to keep our face focused and we're going to continue to do what God has called us to do. We passed the test. But there are tests that happen all the time. And here's the fourth thing. The thing about a test is the weight prepares you for what God has prepared for you. Now, here's what I love. When you continue to read the rest of the story, we don't read it in this passage that I just shared. But a couple of verses later, this widow's son dies. And what we see was that what she did with the response of this prophet gave her the, the ability that when her son died, she could have faith to take her son to the prophet who provided for her physically, but now would provide for her son. He was dead. And what we see was bread-making faith that turns into dead-raising faith. 
that she would take her son and tell that prophet, you got to raise that boy up. You, did you lie to me? Come on, get over and provide. He goes and lays on the boy three times. That boy comes back to life. And we see that the, the experience that she had in just being faithful with the bread, being faithful with the oil, providing in the little moments. Sometimes we neglect the small miracles while we pursue the big ones. But it was the small day in and day out miracle that gave her the faith that when the ultimate test of her son dying, she said, I know the miracle worker. He did it back here. He can do it right here. And I'm not taking no for an answer. I'm not quitting. I'm not giving up. Her faith was developed because of her yes in the little miracle. Bread making faith becomes dead raising faith. Faith. 